Welcome to the teaching ministry of The Cause Church. We pray you will be encouraged, challenged, and blessed as you listen to the Word of God. Two blonde ladies. Lauren, Indiana. Maybe. Staff members. Two blonde ladies are working for the city public works department and so one, one digs a hole and then the other follows behind her and fills the hole in and they work up one side of the street and then down the other side and they move on to the next street and they're working hard furiously all day long without a rest. One girl digging the hole and then other girl f- filling it in again and so one of the neighbors in the neighborhood is, is just stops and watches this, is amazed at how hard they're working and but can't really understand, is confused at what they're actually doing. So he finally goes up to the lady who's digging the hole and says, I'm so impressed by your effort that that both of you are putting in, but I don't get it. Why do you dig the hole and then your partner follows behind you and fills it up again? And the lady digging the hole just wipes her brow and sighs and she says, well, I suppose it probably looks a little odd because we're normally a three-person team, but today the girl who plants the trees called in sick. Oh, gosh. Good shot. That's Somebody take that away from my mom. Safety. Where's the safety, guys? Jay, come on. Come, come get that. Open your Bibles up, everybody, to Mark chapter 8. Mark chapter 8. In fact, go ahead and stand to your feet with me, if you would, and we're going to pray. Uh, I'm gonna, we're going to read one verse, but we're coming back to Mark 8, so you're going to want to stay there. Mark chapter 8, verse 34. Let's, let's pray. Father, we thank you for the power of your word. Nothing is more powerful than your word. Brings change, transformation, brings healing, correction, freedom, deliverance, encouragement, and challenge. And Lord, do that today in our lives. Speak to us today. Lord, I pray. I just felt a burden this morning. Those that are sick need physical healing in their bodies. If you need healing in your body, just put your hand on, on yourself or wherever you need. You can raise your hand if you want. Lord, I, I pray healing right now. Jesus is the healer. By the stripes and power of the blood of Jesus, we speak and we declare healing in every sickness, every infirmity to be gone in the name of Jesus. Lord, we thank you. You're so good to us. We love you in Jesus' name. If you agree, say amen. Amen. Mark chapter 8, verse 34. Let's read this one verse out loud together and then stay in Mark 8 as we get into the message. Ready, go. When he had called the people to himself with his disciples also, he said to them, Whoever desires to come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. As you're seated, look at the person next to you and say, I really wish I could have Chick-fil-A for lunch today. And then you can go and be seated. Why is it closed on Sunday? Because they're observed the Sabbath. Jesus, we're going to come back to Jesus' words in a moment. We're starting a new series today that we're, I'm simply calling Following Jesus. And it's going to uh, lead us as we, as we get to Easter So for the next five weeks. And Jesus teaches us, he describes to us what it means to follow him, what it means to be a disciple. In fact, the statement that we just read is recorded five times, four other times, five times total, at least in the Gospels. It has some slight variations in in Matthew, Mark, and Luke. In other words, listen, if Jesus says something five times, (laughs) you don't need to have a a Bible degree to know it's really important. Parents, we all have the, the privilege of telling our children over and over and over again, 
important things, right? Uh, son, please put deodorant on this morning and brush your teeth before you go to school. And you tell them that every day, multiple times, all right? Because that's part of what we do. The, the truth is, the truth is, we're getting into your notes right now if you're following along. The truth is, we are born self-centered. I am born self-centered and so are you. Let me give you a pop quiz, and I know none of us like that term, but it's an easy one. It's two questions, true or false, all right? Here's question number one. I want every, class, I want all of us to answer this out loud together, okay? Number one, human beings are basically self-centered. Yes, correct. Number two, you are a human being. There you go. <laughs> That's all of us. If you don't believe that, that human beings are basically self-centered, just go over to the nursery or to the toddler room and observe for a few minutes. Right? Babies are the most selfish human beings on the planet. Babies wake up 3 a.m. They cry. You know, they fuss. They want to be changed. They want to be fed. They want mom or dad to hold them. Most of the times, dad is asleep. He's not waking up, so mom has to go in there and do the hard job. Our little daughter, Eliana, was just in here a few moments ago. She's in the front row. She's so cute, and she loves worship. She's almost two, and she loves worship. And when we stopped singing, she was pointing her finger at Laura and said, more, more, like bossing her around. <laughs> well, she'll, she still wakes up. She doesn't sleep through the night most, most nights. So we'll wake up about 3 a.m. and start crying, either Jenny or myself. We'll, we'll get up, and she wants, wants milk. You know, we'll give her milk, and then we'll try to put her back in her crib, and because she's verbal now, she'll, she'll literally tell us, no, sit. <laughs> like, you ain't going anywhere, buddy. I'm not done with you yet. It's like, how selfish. It's the toddler's creed. What's mine is mine, and what's yours is mine, too. And that's, how, that's how they think. Yeah, I wonder, just for kind of fun's sake and for illustration, point. I wonder if, if when God created us in the Trinity, the triunity of God, I wonder if they had a conversation with one another. I wonder if God the Father said, you know something, these human beings are going to be really self-centered, they're going to be selfish because sin's going to enter the world, so what are we going to do to get this selfishness out of them? I wonder if God the Son said, I have an idea. Let them get married to another human being. <laughs> and then God the Holy Spirit said, and let them have children, okay? Because all those things show you how selfish you are real fast. But our selfish, sinful nature says, it's all about me. It's all about me. Listen, men and women, I have a good reminder for us today. It's not about you. It's all about Jesus. It's not all about your needs, your wants, your desires, your dreams, your future. And even in marriage, you know, we say sometimes, we think things like this, like, well, he doesn't listen to me. I need a man who's going to listen to me. <laughs> Ladies, I have bad news for you. No man will really listen to you the way you want, right? <laughs> she doesn't need, meet my needs. I need someone who's going to give me what I want. In culture, of course, this is what culture is all about. Culture teaches us I need my space. I need to do what's best for me. I need to look out for numero uno. You know, I need to find myself. What the heck does that mean? That's a stupid statement. And even stupider is live your own truth. You do you, boo. It's all these dumb things that culture, all these selfish. And advertisers and marketers spend billions marketing to our selfishness. You deserve it your way. Have it your way. You know, uh, treat yourself, you know, in Parks and Rec. And selfishness can even creep into our relationship with the Lord. We come in here and we think, I don't like the music today. I don't like these songs. I don't even like singing. Well, you're making it about you, not about the Lord. And I'm, I'm busy. I don't have time to read my Bible. Prayer's boring. God doesn't really answer my prayers anyway. Again, men and women, it's not about you. It's about him. 
So we're born self-centered, but listen, we are born again. I am born again Christ-centered. That term born again is from John chapter 3. It's talking about spiritual birth when you come into relationship with the Lord. In other words, you take yourself off of the throne of your life and you put Jesus on the throne of your life. That's his rightful place. That's why Jesus says, whoever desires to come after me, let him deny himself, take up his cross and follow me. A growing, maturing Christian, a growing and maturing Christian will become less and less self-centered and more and more Christ-centered. I'm going to say that again because it's important. A growing and maturing Christian will become less and less self-centered and more and more Christ-centered. I heard a true story recently. It's a cute story. It's a story of a, of a pastor who he had a son when his son was real young, about five years old, on a Sunday afternoon. His son walked up to his dad, he had a real, his son had a really serious look on his face and he's staring at his dad and the father just looked at him and said, are you okay, son? And the son said, daddy, I want to ask you something. Are you Jesus? Because in church today, they told us Jesus always loves us and Jesus always cares for us and Jesus always protects us. So I was wondering, are you Jesus? His son was serious. His dad was so cute. He took his son into his lap, said, son, I'm not Jesus. He said, but I want to be like him. <laughs> he said, uh, man, sorry, I, I heard this story and I, got, I was crying as I heard it. I, I got to make it through this story. He said, but I want to be like him. And, and he said, I hope someday that after you've grown up in this household, you get o- older. I hope someday when you're an adult, I hope that you can ask me that question again. <laughs> son got older, grew up. Wedding day came, getting ready to get married, and he's in the side room with his dad. They're waiting to go out, and he's, you know, they're both excited, and the dad cracks open the door, and he's watching what's happening. He says, son, it's time to go out now. And his son stopped, put his hand on the door, looked at his dad, said, daddy, are you Jesus? Listen, men, men and women, that is the goal of our life. Not, not to cry, but to be like Jesus. <laughs> Because I want to become more and more like Jesus. I want to be more and more like Jesus. That's what it means to be a disciple. That's what it means to be a follower of Jesus. The word follower in the Greek language, it simply means learner. It literally means, it means one who follows both the teaching and the teacher. That's what a disciple was. I like this definition from J. Oswald Sanders. It kind of gives a, a broader uh, definition. It says, a disciple is a learner who accepts the teaching of Christ, not only in belief, but also in lifestyle. To be a disciple, listen to these three phrases, involves a deliberate choice, a definite denial, and a determined obedience. That's what this series is about, learning what it means to follow Jesus, to be his disciple, to become like him. And today my message is called simply, I have decided to follow Jesus. This message, I think, is pretty simple, but it ought to challenge you this morning. As we head towards Easter, the power that we're going to celebrate, the power, the victory of Jesus' crucifixion and his resurrection, it's my prayer for all of us, myself included, that we would make decisions to follow Jesus in greater ways than ever before. 
I want to go back to Mark chapter 8. Now, I want to look at the passage again and, and the, the context, the surrounding verses. And it's an essential passage, I think, to understanding what it means to, to be a disciple. I want to make some comments as we read through it quickly, starting in verse 27. Now, now Jesus and his disciples went out to the towns of Caesarea Philippi. And on the road, he asked his disciples, saying to them, Who do men say that I am? Caesarea Philippi at that time, 2,000 years ago, it was literally like the Las Vegas of, 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 of that time, that day and age. I mean, anything you could possibly imagine, any form of entertainment, any form of godless pleasure, any temptation, it, Caesarea Philippi had it all. It was the Mecca. It was the Las Vegas of that time. It was, a, it was a wicked place, actually, of pagan sacrifice, both animal and human sacrifice. And Jesus takes them there and then has this conversation with them, I think, to make a, 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 an important point. Verse 28, they answered, well, some say you're John the Baptist. Some say you're Elijah and others. You're just one of the prophets. In other words, some people at that time believed that John the Baptist, who had just been killed, was, had been uh, reincarnated. Some people thought that Elijah was coming back again and that maybe that was Jesus or maybe he was just a good prophet. And then listen to what Jesus says. He said to them, but who do you say that I am? It doesn't really matter what other people say. Who do you say that I am? And, and notice this critical question Jesus asks them and the environment that they're in. They're in an environment where all the power, all the money, all the sex that you can want is, is right there. It's at their fingertips. And Jesus asks them this important question and then tells them an even more important statement that we're going to get to in a moment. By the way, there's a lot of important questions that you got to answer in your life. Right at the top of the list is who are you going to marry? So many of us, including myself, have answered that question. And listen, once you've answered that, answered that question, it's a done deal, all right? You got to make it work. Okay, if you're married. Another important question is, what are you going to do? What are you going to do with your job? What are you going to do as, as a career? Uh, what path are you going to choose? Where are you going to live? Well, we all have chosen to live here and not move to Texas. Come on. Or Kentucky. Dan and Teresa leaving us for Kentucky. Another important question. Will I have a burrito or a sandwich for lunch? That's important. That's an easy question. Burrito every time. It's like, we live in Southern California. Why are you going to eat a sandwich? No, have a burrito. But the most important question, the most important question by far, because it affects the rest of your life and your eternal destiny is who do you say Jesus is? Who do you say Jesus is? And so Jesus asked them that question. Peter answered and said to him, you are the Christ. And then he strictly warned them that they should tell no one about him. The, the word Christ, by the way, means the anointed one, the Messiah that was promised by God. And Peter and the Jews at that time and the disciples still, you'll see in a moment, they still thought that the Messiah was going to be a political ruler. In other words, the Messiah, they thought the Messiah was going to overthrow the Romans because they were under Roman oppression at that time. The Romans were, were, were terrible on them. They thought they're going to overthrow the Romans and they're going to establish a, another earthly kingdom like it was under King David. That's what they were expecting. And by the way, the disciples were expecting to rule alongside Jesus and have positions of power and authority. And Jesus did not come to establish a political kingdom. He came to establish a heavenly kingdom. He came bringing the kingdom of God, the kingdom of heaven, the rule and reign of God in our hearts, in our lives that brings change and transformation from the inside out. 
And, and he says, he said, guys, don't tell anybody that I'm the Messiah because he knew that that would, that would make him too popular and he tried to be instituted as a king. So he said, just stay quiet for now. But he began to teach him that the son of man, that was a title about himself, must suffer many things and be rejected by the elders and chief priests and scribes and be killed. And after three days, rise again. He's predicting his own death and resur re resurrection. And he spoke this word openly. And then listen to this. There's, there are funny things in the Bible. This is one of them. Then Peter took Jesus aside and began to rebuke him. <laughs> Think about that for a moment. How bold Peter was to take the Son of God, God in the flesh, aside and say, Jesus, you don't know what you're talking about. Let me fix you. Let me correct you. You don't know what you're doing. That's not the way that it's supposed to go. By the way, I think some of, we do that sometimes with God too. You know, Jesus, you're supposed to heal that person and they die. You know, what's the deal? You know, I was supposed to get that job. I was supposed to date that cute guy and he dated somebody else. What's the deal? You know, come on, Jesus, what's wrong with you? That's what Peter's doing basically there. But when Jesus turned around and looked at his disciples, he rebuked Peter saying, get behind me, Satan. Now listen, he's not calling Peter Satan. He's, he's speaking to that demonic spirit behind what Peter's words. For you are not, and this is why, you're not mindful of the things of God, but the things of men. One version says, your mind is not set on God's will or his values and purposes, but on what pleases man. In other words, Jesus is basically saying, you're not thinking about God, Peter. You're thinking about you. You're thinking about what you want. You think you can follow me, live, live your own way, tell me what to do, and I'm just going to bless it. You're wrong. Get behind me, Satan. That's, selfish, that's a selfish, demonic mindset. Verse 34, which is where we started. And when Jesus called the people to himself with his disciples also, he said to them, and men and women, these statements, these next statements, they, they ought to sound revolutionary to you. And they were absolutely revolutionary at the time. Whoever desires to come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. Jesus doesn't say, if you're going to follow me, if you're going to be my disciple, go join a church. Read your Bible more than you do. Do good works. That's not what he says. He says something much, much, much deeper than that. He says, if you're going to follow me, if you're going to be my disciple, deny yourself. In other words, don't live for your own selfish desires and ambitions in your own ways. And take up your cross. See, in our culture, we don't, we don't really understand that because the cross is, it, it's in fashion, it's on clothes, it's on jewelry, it's on buildings. I mean, even people who don't know the Lord wear crosses. We get tattoos of crosses. Some of y'all have cross tattoos on your body. I don't want to know where, by the way, don't show me, okay? I have no tattoos, but if I did, I'd have a big old cross tattooed somewhere on my body. The, but the cross, 2,000 years, it was a symbol of brutal, brutal execution and pain and suffering. And Jesus is telling him, if you want to follow me, go grab a cross. Grab your own cross. In other words, you're, you need to die to yourself. You need to die to yourself and follow me. Your, your own selfishness, your own sin, doing life your own way, follow me. For whoever desires to save his life will lose it. But whoever loses his life for my sake and the gospels will save it. For what will it profit a man if he gains the whole world and loses his own soul? Or what will a man give in exchange for his soul? In other words, you can live life however you want to live. All of us can. We all have free will. 
You can pursue everything this world has to offer. Power, money, sex, everything in between. But listen, eventually you're going to die. <laughs> Thanks for encouraging us today. Pastor, this is going great. It's like the old No Fear t-shirt from the 90s. I used to wear, my favorite one says, he who dies with the most toys still dies. <laughs> you can have everything the world has to offer. Listen, all of us are going to die. And if you live for yourself in this life, you'll be separated from God the rest of your life and for all of eternity, which the Bible calls hell. But Jesus says, but if you live for me, you will be saved. You will be saved. What does that mean? Your sins are forgiven. You have a purpose for living. You can walk daily in his peace and his joy and his love and his power and his presence. You can be filled with the power of God, the spirit of God. You can be free from bondage and shame and addiction and guilt. You can have hope for your future. I think Pastor Julie said in a moment, there is always hope with Jesus and heaven is your home. That's why Jesus says, you'll gain everything. If you lose it for me, whoever's ashamed of me and my words in this adulterous and sinful generation of him, the son of man also, listen to this, will be ashamed when he comes in the glory of his father with the holy angels. Adulterous means someone who's married but loves someone else. And Jesus says, don't say that you love me, but really love someone or, or something else. It doesn't work like that. You see in this passage and in, in other passages as well that Jesus calls us as we follow him. He calls us to a deeper commitment. Every single one of us, whether you realize it or not today, you're on a journey with Jesus. Every single one of us are. Some of us watching or here today, we're not even Christians. We're not even followers of Jesus yet. Some of us have been walking with the Lord for a long time. 60 years, 70 years, but all of us are on a journey and Jesus always meets us where we're at. Jesus loves you just where you are, but he loves you too much to leave you where you are. And so he calls you into greater intimacy. He calls you into a deeper commitment to walk with him, to take the next step. And my challenge to you today and over the next coming weeks in this series is to identify where you are and to take the next step in following him. And I want to give you five levels of commitment. It's kind of like a spiritual continuum. And all of us fall somewhere on this continuum. And ask yourself, am I willing, am I willing today to make a deeper commitment to Christ and go to the next level? Level number one is this, is you're a fan or you're part of the crowd. And Jesus just says, come and see. Come and see. Jesus back then, 2,000 years ago and still today, there are crowds of people who followed him simply for what Jesus could do for them. You know, people were hungry, thousands were hungry, and here comes this, this amazing miracle worker, and he does a miracle, and he feeds 5,000 plus Chick-fil-A, even on a Sunday, you know, and, then, and they get fed. He healed people of all kinds of sicknesses and diseases. He set people free from demonic bondage. Do you realize Jesus ruined every funeral he attended? <laughs> every funeral in the Bible, there's three of them that Jesus went to. He raised them from the dead. And so they were attracted to what Jesus could do. In other words, Jesus had fans who would follow him just to see and experience what, what he might do. But that was the depth of their commitment. They didn't follow his teachings. They didn't obey his commands. They didn't live any differently. We understand what it means to be a fan. All of us are fans of something or someone. Come on, it might be a TV show. It might be an actor. HGTV, Chip and Joanna Gaines. I like Chip and Joanna. Maybe it's a music band or an artist. My all-time favorite music artist is Johnny Cash. 
He's the greatest, in my opinion. Johnny Cash. It might be a sports team, you know, or an athlete. Hopefully not the Raiders. But maybe, I don't know. I'm a Dodgers fan. I'm a Lakers fan. I'm a Rams fan. And I'm a UCLA fan. And I do need to admit, USC beat UCLA in basketball last night. My friend Phil's over there, so that did happen. My my all-time favorite athlete was probably Kobe Bryant. Greatest Laker ever, 20 years. And I watched Kobe play on TV. I watched a couple of his games. I I went with my dad the last season Kobe played, saw him play against the Boston Celtics. He went for over 30 points. It was awesome. But listen, as much as I love Kobe, and I miss Kobe, you know, a couple years ago, but as much as I love Kobe and watch Kobe, Kobe never changed my life. Lakers never changed my life. You know, I'd get excited for a few moments or upset for a few months. I never had a personal relationship with Kobe. I was just a fan. I was just watching from a distance. Some of y'all here today, you're a Jesus fan. And you're, you're, you're watching from a distance. You're observing, you're seeing, you're experiencing. And listen, if, you're, if that's where you're at right now, we're super glad you're here. And just come, check it out. But, but I want to let you know, there's a lot more to what you're experiencing right now. And the question you ought to ask yourself, am I a Jesus fan? And if so, what's preventing me from being a Jesus follower? Number two, second level of commitment is family. Come and believe. Come and believe. John chapter 1, verse 12, but as many as received him, to them he gave the right to become children of God, to those who believe in his name. The moment that you believe in Jesus, you receive salvation. The Bible says you become part of God's family. You become a son or a daughter of God. It's popular. I hear Christians say this sometimes, and it's certainly popular in our culture. People say things like this, we are all God's children. That sounds nice. It it might even sound true, but I'm going to let you know it's not true. That's not what the Bible says. The Bible says we are all created in the image of God, but the Bible makes it clear we are not all God's children. You're only his son or his daughter if you believed in Jesus and you become part of his family. You believe in Jesus and then you belong to his family. That's how it works. And by the way, God has no grandchildren or great-grandchildren. He only has children. So, you know, I, I, I talk to people, how long have you been a Christian? Oh, I was born into a Christian family. I was born into it. And wrong answer, <laughs> all right? No, you weren't. You are a Christian because you made a decision to follow Jesus. Or you're not a Christian because you haven't made that decision yet. I don't see my, my friend. I think she might be at the next service, but there's a lady who normally sits over here, second or third row, uh, and, and she loves the Lord, loves the church, and, and brings people. Well, she started bringing one of her friends within the last year. Her friend was 92 years old, bringing her friend to church. And I didn't, I didn't know this until recently, in fact. So she was bringing her week after week faithfully, right there, sitting right there, week after week after week. Well, a couple months after her friend coming to church, her friend raised her hand and gave her life to Christ. 92, 92 years old. And then just, just a couple months ago, a couple months after she gave her life to Christ, she, she got sick and she just graduated to heaven. So, hey, listen, she was part of God's family. Well, I'm going to see her again. The, the first thing, by the way, the first thing that you should do after you come into relationship with Jesus, the first thing is you ought to get water baptized. That's the biblical pattern. People put their faith in Christ, and then they were water baptized. Water baptism is an important step of faith and obedience. It identifies you with the family of God. It's a public declaration of an inward commitment. 
It identifies you with Jesus' death and burial and resurrection. You, you are buried. The water symbolizes being buried to your old life, your old self, your selfish life, and being raised to new life in Christ. And I know some of us were, were sprinkled when we were a baby, you know, or christened. Listen, thank God if you had parents that dedicated you to the Lord. But your parents made that decision. You didn't make that decision. So if you've made a decision to follow Jesus and you haven't been water baptized yet, there's no reason to wait. Get water baptized. In fact, the next time we're doing it is Easter Sunday, right? Pastor Cindy, Easter Sunday we're doing water baptism. What better day to get baptized? If you're interested, you could talk to Pastor Cindy afterwards. Here's a question. Have I believed, put my faith, my trust in Jesus Christ as my Lord and Savior and been water baptized? Third level of commitment is, is a follower or, or a disciple. And Jesus says, come and grow. Come and grow. It takes a step of faith to get saved. And then you continually walk steps of faith the rest of your life. You follow him. You grow in your relationship with him. The point of Christianity is not just to get to heaven. If it was when we water baptize you, we would just keep you under for a long time. <laughs> Make it easy, all right? It's easy to get to heaven. That's not the point. The point is to know Jesus and become like him. Jesus said, follow me in Mark 1:17. Follow me and I will make you become fishers of men. In other words, I'm gonna change and transform your life. And men and women, be reminded, we become who you hang around. That's true when you're young. It's true when you're older too. <laughs> I used to preach that to young people. Show me your friends, I'll show you your future, I'll show you your destiny. You become who you hang around. So if you hang around Jesus, if you spend time with him, you become like him. The more time you spend with him, the more you become like him. That's why we need to pray on our own. That's why we need to read the Bible on our own. That's why we talk about the Grow Journal in our connect groups and teach you how to read the word of God and hear, it for your, and, and, and hear from God yourself. One of my greatest joys, probably the greatest joy, being a pastor, being in full-time ministry is when I see people make a decision for Christ and grow in him and their lives are changed. There's nothing better. That's what it's all about. The closer you follow Jesus, the more you become like him. You, you begin to love people with a supernatural love from God. You're able to forgive those who've hurt you deeply. You have a joy that's not based on your circumstances, but it comes from the Lord. You have a peace in your life that passes all understanding, even when things are stressful and chaotic in your life. You're patient, even when you've been praying for something or someone for years and years and years, and you haven't seen a change yet. You're kind to others, even when they're rude to you. You're genuinely good in areas of your life where you used to be bad. <laughs> you're faithful to your word. You're faithful to your spouse. You're faithful to your family. You're faithful to your job. And most importantly, you're faithful to the Lord. You're gentle and humble and you put others first and you have self-control in areas where you used to be totally out of control and had no control. Anybody recognize that list sounds a little bit like the fruit of the Spirit in Galatians 5? How do I know if I'm growing? I'm becoming more like Jesus. I have all those things in my life. Listen, spiritual growth is a destination. It's not a destination. It's not like you arrive. It's a lifelong process. It's a lifelong journey of following Jesus, walking with Jesus. And there's some ups and downs and there's some bumps in the road. Everybody, come on. None of us are doing it perfect. I mean, just last night, Jenny and I went to an event. We drove an hour in horrible traffic to get there. His good news is that we were really early. The bad news is we were a month early. <laughs> Literally a month early. And I won't say whose fault it was, but it wasn't mine. And... Um, and then we drove back in an hour of traffic. 
I live close to the church. I don't drive in traffic a whole lot. And uh, wow. By the time, almost got hit twice. Once was not my fault. Once was kind of my fault. I was, anyways. And and when I got home and I walked in the house, I, I, I was not in the best mood. I was not feeling even like a Christian, I'll be honest. <laughs> and my daughter, my oldest daughter, didn't, didn't kind of, we asked her to do something. And anyways, and I just, I got mad. I literally got mad. I lost my temper, started yelling at her. And my sister was there and her husband, and it was a little bit awkward and comfortable. Jenny was trying to calm me down. There wasn't any calming me down at that point. And uh, so I yelled and lost my temper. Jenny pulled me aside a few minutes later and says, um, you, you, need, you need to go to your room. That's what she told me. That's literally what she told me. She said, you, you, need, you need to go lay down. And she basically put me in timeout. And I was like, all right, that's, that's what I'm going to do. That sounds like the will of God right now. Before I do something that I'm going to regret further. And I went and laid down. I literally passed out. It was like 9 o'clock. I fell asleep for an hour at night. And, and I woke up and I felt better. <laughs> and, then I, and then I felt conviction. I honestly, I, was like, I, need, I need to ask, I had to ask my daughter for forgiveness. And she said, oh, no, Dad. I said, no, it's my fault. I'm, really, I'm so sorry. I had to repent, confess to the Lord. Hey, listen, I'm on, I'm on a journey too, everybody. All right? I'm, we're all becoming like Jesus. And, and we're all growing. Just keep growing. Keep moving forward. Ephesians 4.15 says, we speak the truth in love, growing in every way. I love this. In every way, more and more like Christ. That's what I want in my life. Am I maturing and growing spiritually? Am I becoming more like Jesus is the question. Number four is you're fruitful. In other words, you're a minister and you come and serve. Jesus says, now come and serve. Come and grow, come and serve. Jesus said in John 15, when you produce much fruit, you are my true disciples. That brings great glory to my Father. And then he tells us how. I have loved you. Listen to this statement from Jesus. I have loved you even as the Father has loved me. Jesus loves you how the Father loves him. Amazing. Remain in my love. When you obey my commandments, we just talked about that two weeks ago, you remain in my love, just as I obey my Father's commandments and remain in his love. And this is my commandment, love each other in the same way I've loved you. A growing, maturing Christian will become less and less self-centered and more and more Christ-centered. And if you're more and more Christ-centered, that means you are more and more other people-centered because Jesus came to serve and to give. And I'll preach on this in a few weeks, but you're never more like Jesus than when you serve and you give, I think. And number five, here's the last point. So listen, that's why we're talking about become a difference maker. Start serving. Question, do I increasingly think more about others and how I can serve them? And number five, here's the last point. And team can start playing the romantic music behind me, so I'll stop preaching. But number five is the, the fifth level of commitment. I, I might not get any amens here, but I, I got I to preach the truth. The fifth level of commitment to Jesus, which is the heart and the core of discipleship, is to become a fully devoted, a fully devoted follower. And Jesus says, come and die. Men and women, when you, this is what happens. When you make a decision to follow Jesus, he keeps turning up the heat. He keeps calling you into a deeper relationship. And, and he says, come and die. Now, we live... We live in a blessed country, and it's not perfect, but we're, it's, a, it's a great place to live. And if you don't believe that, just travel to some other third world countries, and you'll come back thankful. But, you know, right now, thankfully, we don't live under a whole lot of persecution. I, I think it's, it's been increasing the last couple years, but 
to put it bluntly, none of us are dying for our faith as Christians right now in the United States of America. But that day could come. I hope it never does. It could. I just want to say it bluntly. Men and women, you, you probably, it's probably unlikely that any of us would have to physically die and lay down, give up our life for our faith in Christ, but you need to be willing to. I mean, if you're fully devoted, you're willing to die for Jesus. That's the truth. And we have brothers and sisters in Christ all around the world, Middle East, Northern Africa, China, every single day, men, women, and even children are dying for their faith. And we'll, we'll get to meet them in heaven, hear their stories. So we, we probably won't have to physically die, but we need to be willing to if it ever came to that. And Jesus said in Luke 9 in, in a different gospel, and he, says, he said to the crowd, if any of you wants to be my follower, you must give up your own way. Take up your cross daily. Luke adds that word daily and follow me. It's a daily decision to live for Jesus, to die to yourself. I die to myself. I die to my wants. I die to my desires, my dreams, my own agenda. And I choose to live for Jesus. I choose to live for his cause. I choose to live for his kingdom. I choose to live for his church. I choose to live to love and serve other people. I choose to live to reach others for Christ. I choose to live for the glory of God because it's not about me, it's about him. And here's the question, have I went all in with Jesus? Am I, a fully, de am I fully devoted to him in every area of my life? I wanna close with, with, with this story. In the early 1900s, a man named Bill Borden was in line to inherit the Borden family fortune. His father owned a massive, massive company that at that time it was one of the largest in the world. And as a young man, he got saved. He got saved in a service, in a meeting. The preacher's name was Dwight L. Moody. Bill got saved and when he was 16 years old, his parents gave him a trip around the world because they had a lot of money and, and, and it was a graduation present. So he traveled through Asia, the Middle East, Europe, and he felt a growing burden for the world's hurting people. Listen to this, at the age of 21, he gave his entire life's inheritance away. And he wrote in the back of his Bible two words, no reserves. He went and attended Yale University, which used to be a Christian university at the time. Obviously, it's not anymore. But, but his classmates, Bill's classmates, noticed that there was something unusual about him. And one of his classmates wrote these words. He came to college far ahead spiritually of any of us. He had already given his heart in full surrender to Christ and had really done it. We who were his classmates learned to lean on him and find in him a strength that was solid as a rock just because of this settled purpose and consecration. During his college years, Bill made an entry into his personal journal that defined what his classmates saw in him and he wrote this sentence, say no to self and say yes to Jesus every time. He felt God's call to become a missionary to China he first graduated from Yale, then he went to Princeton Seminary. He turned down several high-paying job offers. And the day before he left to be a missionary, his own father came and begged him, begged him to stay and to take over his father's company. He told his dad that he was honored, but God had called him to be a missionary. And then he wrote in the back of his Bible these words, no retreats. He set sail for China. He stopped in Egypt because he wanted to study Arabic to reach Muslims for Christ. Listen to this. While he was there, he, con he contracted spinal meningitis 
and died within a month. He was only 25 years old. And in his Bible, before he died, in the back of his Bible, with, in faint handwriting, he wrote these words, no regrets, no regrets. That's what it means to be a fully devoted follower of Jesus, men and women. No reserves, meaning I have surrendered everything to Jesus. Every part of my life belongs to him. No retreats. I'm saying no to myself, and I'm saying yes to Jesus to the best of my ability every time. And no regrets. I have decided to follow Jesus, and there's no turning back. Thanks for listening to this message from The Cause Church. For more information about The Cause or for further resources, visit our website, thecause.cc or call 714-255-0930.